nugget. Courage is fear. Courage is fear. Huh? Some of you got a question mark already. Courage is fear that has said. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. Okay. One more. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. Some of you had to think about that. Okay. <clears throat> Father, we're praised we just give you thanks as we look to your word that our eyes of our understanding may be open, Father God, to greater revelation, Father God, than that which is being taught. In Jesus' name, amen. First, I have to say that uh, today, those that will hear will get an answer to what they're looking for. Amen. If you hear and hear and obey and do. You got to do it. You just can't hear it. I mean, you know, we just get fat and not exercise our faith and so we got to do what we, but you're going to have to take the whole thing in context first. Don't say, well, how can that be? Okay. Uh, we've been talking about prayer. And so we have been directed to make prayer a vital ingredient or ingredient to our Christian walk. So turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 18. We saw this. Verse 1, and he spake a parable, this is Jesus, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray, not to faint. Always means that all occasions. Okay? Then go to Luke chapter 21. Looking at verse 36, again with prayer, Jesus speaking. Watch ye therefore and pray always. Wow. Amen. That ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So it's that. We need to pray. We are in this time frame. Okay? And one more. Let's turn to the book of Thessalonians. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 17, Paul tells us. 5.17. Pray without ceasing. So, I think all of us, it's emphasizing to us that we need to pray always, at all times. Without prayer, our course becomes misdirected and muddled. 
Prayer, when not given its proper place in our lives, becomes obscure, devalued, so that it becomes detached from our thought process. If you don't pray, you don't think about it. So it becomes detached from our thought process. For prayer to be great in an individual's life, we need to be focused and committed to the things of God. We need to establish prayer in our lives to become effective in the work God has called on us to do. Again, we have been directed to always pray to keep the lines of communication with God open. Okay. Revivals. We hear about revivals. Some churches put a big banner in front. Revival. You know, X date to X date. Okay. Uh, but revivals are, have actually, or we call them the, the Great Awakenings. So we're going to be looking at it this way. The Great Awakenings. Revivals have been started by individuals who caught God's vision. If so if we're wanting a revival here, somebody's got to catch a vision. Some one or two or three, four, five, how about the whole congregation? We need a vision, okay? Um, the first great awakening, the revitalization of religious piety actually started in England, Scotland, and Germany in the years 1730 through 1770. Almost simultaneously, it appeared on the, in the American colonies. Wow. Uh, note the time frame, 1770. It came when the American Revolution evolved. Many of the ideas within the Constitution of the United States were founded upon the biblical principles that were instilled at this time during the Great Awakening. Wow. I mean, you had ministers and all this going running around. Uh, let me just give you a few individuals here in the States or early. Such individuals as Gilbert Tennant, You'll recognize some of these names. Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John and Charles Wesley. Uh, they all led the awakening uh, movement throughout the colonies, um, inspiring large number of people to embrace true Christianity. And it became a hotbed of enthusiasm. I mean, people were just wild. I mean, this is going crazy, okay? Um, in this area of extraordinary upheaval and crisis for the ordinary people. Of course, like I said, it, is, it evolved around our uh, independence. So when they found out certain things, hey, this is God-given. We don't have to do all this and, you know, what, what had transpired then. Now we're going to look at the Second Great Awakening. Um, this movement started approximately 1790, some 30 years later. Uh, they had circuit riders. Or these were evangelists. They, they got on their ponies or horses and they would go to one little town and have a meeting and go to another little town and have a meeting. Okay. 
Those were the circuit writers. And uh, they also had camp meetings. You know, today we churches have camp meetings. You know. Camp meetings, uh, they became very popular. Camp meetings uh, were religious services that lasted several days. Maybe we camped out here. We wouldn't go home, we would camp out, okay? These took places in the rural, rural, uh, those areas, okay? Where uh, the population was, uh, you know, thin. Um, the settlers from all around, we're still talking early, early country. Uh, settlers gathered together for the religious service, for worship, for fellowship. And people were inspired. There was singing and dancing. And shouting was also commonly uh, associated with these events. Yeah. Many times the circuit riders, or the circuit evangelists, they would all gather at one place. And maybe get 10 or 15, maybe 30 yards away. And they would all start speaking. Can you imagine a place, you got 30 evangelists. And everybody, you know, has got a little corner, and they're just going at it. And everybody, you're getting hallelujahs over here, and, and glory over there. And I mean, this is, it was wild. People were just, just enthralled by it. Um, the people got so excited and passionate and zealous for, for the things of God that churches, church mem churches and church membership soared. I mean, great things. Okay, uh, you'll recognize this name, Charles Finney. He was formerly a lawyer who turned to become an evangelist, one of the greatest evangelists that our country has known. He was one of the key figures during the Second Great Awakening here in America. He touched virtually every aspect of life in our country in seven years. Okay. In seven years, there were estimated 500,000 conversions. 500,000. I mean, for in those days, that is moving out. I mean, you know. Uh, and it was also found out they had follow-ups later on, you know, years later. Uh, a study reported that uh, the conversion rate under Finney's preaching found that over years, over 80% of the people still held true to their faith and were in churches. That's a good number. I mean, nowadays, you know, you have a, a camp meeting, you get 10 saved, and uh, they're, with, they're with people with the church for a couple years, and all of a sudden, you don't see them anymore. They don't go to church anymore. They get offended and so forth. But these people stood, and that's fantastic, okay? Um, there were immediate effects that took place in entire towns and cities uh, were, that, that were extraordinary. Some places, they say, the local towns, the bars were shut down. Um, they had no business in the jails anymore. They had to let the, the police off. Um, the brothels had shut down. I mean, I mean, places got cleaned up. So... Those are uh, things that were attributed to 
the great harvest of the uh, second great awakening. Okay, glory to God. Amazing things. Okay. Okay. Charles Finney would point out, well, we're going to get out of here early. Charles Finney pointed out that uh, one man who partnered with him was exemplary in his work with him. This man's name was Daniel Dash. Nash, pardon me, da Daniel Nash. Uh, he joined Finney as a prayer partner. Uh, when Finney was invited to speak to a certain city, I'll be in Santa Maria in three weeks. Well, Mr. Nash would arrive tomorrow, three weeks ahead of time, and began to pray. He would find other Christians that had the same attitude, and he would, they would gather together and begin to pray for revival. Uh, and plead with God for souls to be saved, and that changes would be made in the community. Um, and then Finney would come in three weeks later, and he'd start holding these meetings. And look what happened. Scores of people got saved. Uh, once the meeting started, Nash uh, never did really attend, not too many of them. He kept on praying. Glory to God. Even the little group that he had. He, maybe he would get one or two people at the most, or six or seven at the most, and those six would pray all the time. You know. Uh, his group would pray and stay hidden, praying uh, in the Holy Spirit, to, that the Holy Spirit to uh, convict and melt the crowd. Uh, one time that uh, the, it was in a boarding house that it's said that uh, uh, he and a number of individuals were in the boarding house and they're praying. Now this is intercessory, intercessional prayer and uh, the boarding house lady uh, noticed they didn't come down for breakfast, lunch, or dinner for a couple, three days. So she went up there, knocked on the door, and all she could hear, hear, oh, I mean, they were, they were in prayer. And she peeked in and just saw them laying on the floor and just, you know, uh, and she went down and, and she said, uh, she found, uh, when Charles Finney was there, your, your, your friends are, they need something. They are, they are sick. He says, don't worry, they are they're not sick. They are praising the Lord, bringing souls in. So, heavy travail, yes. Okay. Finney and Nash traveled thousands of miles together uh, in prayer and prop proclamation of the gospel to, to bring countless lives to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Together, they violently shook the gates of hell to release and to set the captives free. If we're wanting a revival or an awakening, some of us are going to have to sacrifice something. Okay. Uh, when Nash died uh, on 
the 20th of December of 1831, Finney said he had not known Nash to pray as if he would uh, do violence to heaven and have been uh, until the blessings would come and plainly see the answers to his prayers. I mean, that, that is something else. You pray until the answers come. You don't stop. He didn't stop. Um, so that no person could doubt it more than, uh, than if God had spoken it from heaven himself. Okay. Nash prayed more and more. He used to take a map of the world and pray until he was exhausted um, in his room. Praying to do battle for souls, to overcome obstacles and move the hand of God in different countries. Wow. Now let's look at, we're going to look at a couple of foundations that, that uh, Nash, or we can pick up from Nash. Uh, one, you have to be focused. Focused on God and uh, in tune with God's agenda and follow God's leads. Um, let's turn to the book of Matthew. And we want to go to the 20th chapter. That's Matthew chapter 20. Um, we'll look at, uh, look at an example of uh, what took place in, uh, with the disciples. When, when Jesus had the disciples during those three years, they were self-centered. He said, oh, yeah, they were self-centered. Matthew chapter 20. Well, let's go to uh, 2020. Then came unto him the mother of uh, Zebedee, the children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. Okay, here. Here, here is uh, the two brothers, James and John. And they bring their mother along because, you know, mom has a lot of pull. I mean, you know, won't you? Okay, look what he, what he says. Uh, and he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said, said unto him, Grant that, that these my two sons may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on the left hand, in thy kingdom. So, hey, that's a little bit self-centered. Let me, let me be in a high, you know, position of authority. Uh, that's not the way it goes. <laughs> okay, so we see that. But, uh, let's go on also to the book of uh, Mark. Mark chapter 10. The same thing, uh, starting with verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we would, we would that thou shouldst do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I do, should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on the left hand in thy glory. So I think, you know, 
uh, all the disciples uh, were, we would say, jockeying to get a position with the Lord. They knew his kingdom was going to come. He said, I would like to have that prestige seat. And that was a little bit all, you know. But what happened after the resurrection? Let's go to the book of Acts. Okay, the book of Acts, chapter 4. In Acts, their focus was, was not on their lives, but on the lives of others now. They started seeking power from on high to preach the gospel. Acts 4, looking at verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. So it wasn't for them any longer. They wanted the boldness to go out and, and speak the word. So there was a change. And many of us have to have, our, have a change in our lives to, to accomplish the things that God wants us to do. And it has to be a change that the individual chooses, okay? Okay. Their concern was God's purpose being secured. Not God heal me and help me, which is not bad, but save and sanctify the lost. Save and sanctify the lost. That's, our, that's what the anointing is for. It's not for, you know, me and you and us for. And no more. No, this is, this is to, to the world, okay? Amen. Follow God's lead. Know the intention of God's heart. Knowledge flows from having a relationship with God. Jesus knew the Father's business. Let's now turn to Philippians, the book of Philippians. And the third chapter. Look what Paul says, Philippians 3 and verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being conformable unto his death. So if we know him, and Jesus said, I, I, do, I go about and do my father's business, we need to be doing the father's business too. Yeah. We're adopted. Amen. We're adopted sons and daughters. We need to do our father's business. Oops. Okay. Second thing that uh, a foundation that we need to have is uh, to keep koinonia or love at the for, uh, forefront of our walk. The principle principle of power, powerful prayer in the church flows from a deep, authentic, loving fellowship with God and His people. Amen? God works in the lives, God works in the lives in, in proportion to the degree of their love. Right. If you have great love, He's going to use you in greater things. Look what He accomplished through, um, well, the the Apostle John, look at what he wrote, what he accomplished. He wrote that 
three, uh, the gospel and then first, second, third John. I mean, there's showing love, okay? Um, trust is built when we share our burdens and troubles and we walk as we walk in hard, hard miles together. This is where we need to help one another, okay? Um, this love fuel, fuels the fervent, effective prayer. Okay. Without our praying together, it would only be surface deep. True. Surface deep. Oh, I, you know, just pray for, pray for me. You say, we, a lot of us say, just pray for me. You know, okay, what do you pray about? But if you get together and you begin to speak and what you need prayer on, there's more in-depth you can find. And then as you pray in the Spirit, you even get a greater revelation of how to pray for that individual or individuals. Okay, amen? Okay, number three is to have a clean heart. And boy, you're going to get out early, early, early unless we pray. Clean hearts. God has always required a right heart from those to whom he will reveal himself. All who miss this point miss God. Okay? Okay, let's see if I got it here. Psalms 51. Psalms 51. Well, we can start with verse 7. Psalms 51, 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I, will, I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then, then, then I will teach transgressors the lost. Thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. We need to have a clean heart. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Okay. Cain and Abel. You remember those two guys? I hope you've read about Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 1. Not chapter 1, but chapter 2 and 3. Um, Cain and Abel showed their, their heart condition. Um, one was willing and obedient to follow God's plan, how to offer his offering. The other deliberately used his own or did his own thing. Okay? God answers an individual or church in proportion to how they are walking with him. Wow. So let's turn to Psalms 24. In Psalms chapter 24.
looking at verse 3, Psalms 24, 3. Who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath a clean hands and a pure heart, and who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Glory to God. Our hearts have to be clean. We can't be like uh, Jonah. I hate to say that. You know, God asked him to do, do something. He says, I ain't going to do it. So he jumped ship and he fell in that fish out there or that whale. We've got a whale there. And he still had to do it, but he was not happy about it. Okay? We have to have, to have a clean heart. I don't want those people to be saved. Those are rotten people. They did, did me wrong. They, did, they did, did my people wrong. God says, go speak to them that they might be saved. Man, we don't like that. You know, there might be somebody in your way. I don't like that person. You know, if they would leave, I would get a promotion. You know, that's what happens in, in a lot of pro, uh, pro sports. Somebody has a lead position and somebody accidentally mangles that person so they can get that spot. It's not the way it works, people. Hello. You've got to have a clean heart. Oh, let's go to Psalm 66. Let's see what this one says. 66. Psalm 66. Look at verse 18. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If you're wanting revival, you need to have a clean heart. We need to have a clean heart. I have to have a clean heart. Otherwise, your prayers are sounding brass. Just goes up, ding, ding, blank, blank, you know. Not any good. We hinder the movement of God with our iniquity. That that scripture is uh, 60, Psalm 66 and verse 18. We help or hinder the movement of God's spirit in accordance to the depth of our repentance. We've got true repentance, things wiped clear, and you can you get you you stand before the throne of God. Take First John 1 9. But also forgive. Because if you know you go to First John 1 9, but if you're not forgiving, it's not gonna work. Everything's gotta be a good balance, okay? Okay, number four, and we're about over. Okay. We need to be in one accord in our prayer. This is where we, we talked about coming together in prayer. Jesus said this is his house of prayer. So we need to come together in one accord. Accord means to have the same passion. Have a combined heat or fervency. To share the glow. Have unity of heart and fellowship. 
agree in one purpose, have a desire and attitude with action. Okay. Turn with, turn with me now to the book of John, chapter 17. Oh, glory to God. Let's go to verse 20. That's John 17, 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them which also shall be believed on me through their word. They shall all may that they all shall may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be in one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And the glory which thou gavest to me, I give who? Them. That they may be one, even as we are. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me, thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Well, that's pretty heavy. That is real heavy. Being one with God, that means you have the love of God for, for others. We need, that means our prayer should come to pass. Hello. Are you willing to do it? Okay. Ephesians chapter 4. Oh, glory to God. In Ephesians chapter 4. Beginning verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation, your lifestyle, wherewith you are called, with all lowliness or humbleness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. It's us. He's talking about us when we are in one with him. We must purpose to move closer to God. This is what God intended for us to do. To pray in unity. Make his house a house of prayer. Anything, is, anything and everything is possible with God if we are willing and obedient. Once again, we have a choice to follow God or to be foolish and presume we can do better than His plans are. Okay? In our nation today, we need an awakening an awakening, awakening in each and every one of our lives and our country. Today, 
We need men and women who will take up the mantle of prayer, just as Daniel Nash did. Although you're not in the limelight, he violently shook the gates of hell to release the captives. Maybe he's not known to men, but he, he was known and feared by hell itself. Won't someone step forth and say to God, here am I? Use me. Use me for your glory. We, we sang that song, There is no one like you, Jesus. There is no one like you, Jesus. I give my all to you. Wow. If you're looking for a title, Behind the Scenes. Because an intercessor is one who is behind the scenes. In men's eyes, you are behind the scenes. But before God, before God and, and in heaven, you are at the heart of God in your prayers. Amen. And the Lord says, I look to and fro earth seeking a man or a woman to do my will. Will he find one? Or will I find one, he says. Open your heart this day. Like I said, for some of you, You got your answer. How to accomplish what you ask. It's going to be through prayer. I'm going to say gut-wrenching prayer to move on those that uh, you're believing for, praying for, asking for deliverance for, healing for. It's going to just not just take a simple prayer. Oh, Lord, heal. Or Lord change. It's going to take every bit of your spirit, man, to move God in the situation that you're looking at. Amen. Any questions? Or maybe I should say, any volunteers? Well, I'm not going to put that kind of pressure on you. Uh, in the military, they would volunteer you. I can't volunteer. This is, this is a... When you volunteer in God's army, he calls. Let's just not go A-W-O-L. 
Let's do what he called us to do. Pray. Okay, let's all stand. Oh, she has something she wants to share. Okay. Hang on. Is it on mute? No. Praise God. You know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, what a, what a war in the spirit we're in. It's not people, it's principalities and powers. And um, I know Terry shared something this morning that, I don't know if you want to share that again or not, when God did in the city. This week. Yeah, I think they need to see this because... Uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. I don't know if anyone has an amplified there. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, I want to go back to verse 1 again because we cannot, cannot let the things slip that we have learned. We ought, does someone have the, um, do you have your amplified up there? Okay. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. And then I want to go to Ephesians a minute. This is a time where we need to be on our, our knees more than any other time. Any other time that I've been alive, I'll be very honest with you. Because a lot is taking place in our country. In Ephesians, I want to start here in verse uh, chapter 4. Pastor gave, I believe, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But I want to go down here to verse 20. 20. But you have not so learned Christ. If, you, if so, be that you have heard him and have taught by him the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off con concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after Christ is created in righteousness and true holiness. Verse 25, Wherefore putting away lying... He says, put away lying. Absolutely, the Bible says all liars are going to hell. So we need to put away lying. We should, you know, if you start to lie, just 
shut it, stop it, and go back. Some people are habitual liars. And, you know, a person that is a habitual liar, some people have a lying spirit. They really can't tell the truth. And so he's saying that we need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put, a, put on the new man, verse 24, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. 25, wherefore put in way lines, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are ministers one of another. Be ye angry and sin not, let not the sun go down on your wrath. Let, you ne let neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, and that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and, and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. I'm going to have Terry share, if she would, what she shared this morning about what took place in the city. And, and praise God. <clears throat> There's a lot more in this city that needs to be cleaned up. You know, when God sent us here, he said, I'm sending you a city, you to a city whose builder and maker is God. And so, here you go, sweetheart. I'm going to put it on mute for a second.